for people who are very nervous and they're maybe on e-bikes. That the are last thing they fast. need is an explosion <laughs> on their head if they're nervous. It's episode 499 and Sarah's back again with more newbie questions. Let me cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness and our longevity? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back to another Roadman Cycling Podcast. Today is episode number 499. I love big round numbers, as does everyone else. Episode 500 was meant to be this milestone episode in my head. I was planning what I was going to do for it. I was going to do little best of snippets. Maybe it was going to be a live studio audience, but it's fallen on a Saturday and that means it's Sarah's Just solo hand cast. it over to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm carrying this show now anyway, so I deserve the 500 accolade, don't I? Sarah marches in all oh, like six Saves episodes deep. Saves the day. How many episodes you done? Six, seven? Uh, yeah, about that I would say. Yeah, Last week's one went quite well. I got a lot of good feedback from it. My, I think it was seven tips for weight loss for cyclists. So uh, I bared my soul and admitted to the world about my weight gain over the last year. Is one of the tips bring a Wayne's gains on holidays? Because that's what you're trying to convince me that's normal. <laughs> well, I look, I weigh myself every morning now, which some people would say is, uh, you know, not healthy either, but it works for me. And if I bring it on holiday, it will like, keep me on the straight and narrow. So you're not going to shame me, are you? You'll be, using it. You'll be using it the whole time. <laughs> uh, busy week on the podcast. I had Laura King, who was one of the pioneers on the gravel scene, along with her husband, Ted King because she's a co-founder of Root in Vermont but she's also a very strong advocate for getting females into gravel cycling and I had Doug Evans which you probably didn't listen to Sarah but you're about to see a lot of Doug Evans work around the house he spoke about sprouting and the power of sprouting your own food at home and basically starting a food revolution for I think he said less than a dollar a week sprouts are an insanely source cheap of nutrient dense food that anyone can do at home Really interesting chat with him. Yeah, I didn't listen to it yet, but I have seen a lot of his stuff on Instagram and on YouTube, and it's really, really fascinating. So Sprouts are the new superfoods, really, you know? I bought the book like 10 days ago or 12 days ago from Easton's and it still hasn't been delivered. So shout out to Easton's. Thank <laughs> you very much for that. <laughs> Hashtag don't use Amazon. So Anthony is going to get his green thumb out and start... Uh, sprite and sprites. You made green thumb sound very sexual. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yeah. You're over-sexualized. Yes, I have a knack of doing that, do I? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Tour de France this week. Tour de France has um, been amazing. Yeah, it's drama in every direction. And it looked like for a long time there was going to be zero drama. We just thought, well, Pogaccio's going to march straight into a Tour, Tour de France. But it's thrown curveballs, left-handers, right-handers at us in every direction. Oh, like my cortisol levels are peaking watching it because there's just so much drama it's absolutely brilliant and I have to say even though it's a little bit you do feel it kind of pulls at the heartstrings a little bit when you see Pogaccia losing a little bit of time but it does open the race up and it makes the whole thing so much more interesting. So we've had like to recap some of the drama we've had Roglic going down on the cobbles busting his shoulder and popping it back into place himself We've had he actually had to use some uh, spectator's chair to pop it back in. So that's like something out of John Rambo. <laughs> 
He's amazing. <laughs> Remember Rambo healed himself by putting the gunpowder from a bullet inside the cut and setting it on fire. That's what I expect Roglic to do. <laughs> uh, UAE have been decimated with COVID. Uh, Matthew van der Poel has dropped out of the tour. Uh, it's yeah. been, and the fans are pretty nuts on the climbs. Yeah, the fans are amazing. Like the fans are incredible, but it's also very, very frightening to see it. I just looked it up this morning that there's somewhere between 10 and 12 million spectators will come out and have a look at the Tour de France, making it second only to France's most popular tourist attraction, which is? The Eiffel Tower. Disneyland Paris. So there's so many fans they are like packed 10 deep and they're... Do you agree with the fans being that close to the riders? I mean, we were there. We basically touched the, the riders because you you are right in front of them. You, you're, they're very close to you. And some of the guys that are running along beside them with flares and they're trying to keep up with them. And it, it's kind of nerve-wracking looking at it. Well, it's kind of also what makes cycling unique that we have very little separation between fans and athletes. But there has been through the years, you know, high-profile riders in GC positions getting kidney-punched by spectators, getting pushed off their bikes. And then we've seen a clip if anyone watched the Move podcast the other day, they showed a throwback clip to a protest because we had a protest in the tour the other day. But they showed how Bernard Hino dealt with a protest back in the day. He just came in swinging right-handers. <laughs> you could tell that fella could throw a really good punch as well, the way he had his body lined up. It definitely hurt when it landed for that protester. Yeah, we had a few protesters this week as well. I think they were um, essentially doing sit-down protests in the middle of the road about uh, climate uh, climate change so yeah it's yeah look it's their opportunity to get on TV I suppose but it's very disruptive for the peloton it's a little bit of we spoke about traditions it's a little bit of one of those you know, negative traditions that has happened to Tour de France through the years because I think it's so entwined with L'Equipe and national media coverage that people just jump on the bandwagon and think there's a fella who's always at the the finish line as well but no top on and he's always kind of trying to get on. Oh, on the TV. lad who ran down the finishing straight in Flanders yeah, this year. Yeah, but he he's he's kind of a fixture. I've seen him at a few races. So. I don't know if he's at the tour. Uh, I haven't seen him yet, but if you're out there. Oh, the other fixture, Didi. Oh, Didi's been there. Didi's been there long before you've been there. <laughs> Didi's been around cycling since I started watching it, you know, as a kid. Armstrong's first tour is probably the tail end and Miguel injury. And it'd be interesting to know when Didi first came around. Didi, for any of you guys that haven't uh, see, noticed him or seen him, you'll see him on the coverage. He is a guy with, he looks like a wizard dressed as a devil. He's a legend. And he he chases the peloton usually on the, on the climb. So I've spotted him once this year so far. So good man. Uh, Pogacha losing time on what was that stage on Thursday that was Wednesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, that was a cautionary tale to any amateur cyclist out there really to stay on top of your fueling yeah I mean these guys are it's it's funny he came out and said that he had like a he got the knock basically he hadn't fueled sufficiently did he say that I, I don't I, know. I, no, I don't think he did. I think it's just It's been reported. Yeah. It has been reported that he missed a gel and it had just a devastating effect on his energy levels. Yeah, he just said, uh, some days you lose three minutes, tomorrow maybe I gain three minutes. Yeah, he didn't address the fueling thing. But if you look at the footage even, the salt is baked onto him. Mm. Since they were doing the 30-30s at the bottom of the Col de Galibier, Roglic, Vindigo, Thomas and himself which was mental with 50k out. And I think the racing was just so hard. 
that he didn't stay on top of fueling and on the grand on at the end he just came to pieces look i don't think Pog- Pogacar is out of the race at all anyway so watch this space the other thing i noticed and i read about is caleb ewan and the sprinters it's a tough day at the office for them for these climbs isn't it they're not they wouldn't be naturally built as climbers how can we put them into two different categories caleb ewan and the sprinters <laughs> caleb ewan is a sprinter you tried to make them sound like a band like a four-piece well, I said Caleb Ewan and I couldn't kind of think of anybody, another name, so. <laughs> yeah, the sprint, anyone big, basically, the 80 kilo club or anyone fast and has that fast twitch muscle composition, they don't go uphill so well. And yeah, it's a different race going on at the back of the Tour de France where they're trying to make the time cut calculation each day. But you can't just cruise around and stop for ice creams in the Tour de France. You have to be within a certain percentage of the winner's time each day. And they'll normally have, they call that group at the back, the bus, the auto bus. And they'll normally have somebody clued back or clued in back there that's kind of tongue-in-cheek called the bus driver. And the bus driver will be sort of the mathematician out of the lads. And, and kind of pacing understand, them. Okay, we need to ride this climb at this speed. We need to pick it up in the valleys. We need to, you know, we can conserve a little bit of energy here. Their goal is to make it just inside the time cut. And so they're saving the maximum amount of energy like Jumbo Visma yesterday when Vindegar is winning that stage for everyone else they're listening on the earpiece and it's all about energy conservation like the director will be saying Vindegar is taking time he's taking time he's taking time and he'll also be simultaneously saying to the rest of the lads you need to sit the hell up you need to ride that climb as easy as possible because now we have the jersey we're leading the Tour de France and we're going to need every last drip of that energy you guys have tomorrow and the following couple of weeks yeah, it's so fascinating. Oh my God, it's been a brilliant week. I can't wait for, for the rest of it to roll through. All right, so will we move on to the questions? Let's do it. Okay. Okay, a rider writes in, Hi Sarah, love the podcast. I'm new to cycling and I have become fairly obsessed with both riding and following the pro tour. So I really appreciate your newbie questions and answers. Oh, thank you. Just listening to today's, that was Monday uh, podcast. My newbie question is, what are the actual chances of a couple of teams like Jumbo and Ineos making a pact to work together as a 13 or 14 person peloton within the peloton to take on Pagacha? Do these kinds of agreements happen between teams? Thanks from the east coast of Canada, Chad Jameson. Chad sounds cool, doesn't he? He does sound cool. <laughs> Although Sarah has written in his show notes, he sounds gorgeous. <laughs> what a strong name. <laughs> um, no, the, like, I like the meta analogy of Peloton within the Peloton. Uh, no, there, there will be no formal agreements or even informal agreements. They might have, and for a period before Pogaccia lost the jersey, the interests of Jumbo Visma and the interests of Team Ineos definitely aligned. So they're not riding against each other, but they're definitely not riding for each other either. There is deals done, and I spoke, if you listen back to previous Tour de France podcasts, this is something really coming back to bite UAE and Tadej Pogaccia at the moment. There was two stages early in the race where they rode on the front to control a breakaway, catch the breakaway, and ultimately win the stage. One was Le Super Planche de Belfi. They didn't need to catch the breakaway. They caught the breakaway. Pogaccia won the stage, deprived Bora of the win. There, there's an easy deal to be done between the directors and the team cars where they can go up and say, hey, stop riding, let the break win today. He's no threat to the overall classification. And then you've banked the favour with us and you can call in that favour later in the week. That used to be very common in the kind of Lance Armstrong era all the way through. And it's, it's still common at amateur level. But 
I don't know, maybe this new generation just aren't doing deals as frequently like that. But no, to answer that question, there won't be any sort of you know, formal or alliance. informal accord. Accord, alliance. Yeah, it's really interesting um, to hear that they're not kind of working together against Pogaccia. And I think at this point, they probably don't need to because Pogaccia's team has been annihilated. So they're well, now it's their against Yumba. It's against Yumba. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Number two, hi Sarah, now that Anthony is back training seriously, how do you find it? My other half doesn't really understand that I need to train for my physical and mental health and it causes a lot of friction in her house. Oh, <laughs> whoa, we've got like a relationship advice <laughs> podcast here as well. So what's the question? Uh, so basically, um, how do you find it? So I guess he has frictionist in his ha- home with his other half or her other half. Do we have friction over the amount that you train and the fact that you're not here a lot? Like we will after this question. <laughs> I think at the, I think it's key to at the beginning before Anthony started back his new journey to you know full fitness and being very very competitive again he sat me down and had a conversation with me about it so he didn't just decide on his own okay I'm back training 25 hours a week now you won't see me and I'm going to be absolutely wrecked we can't go out for dinner anymore it was a decision that we made together and it's important to Anthony so I think maybe have a chat with your other half like talk to them about how important it is for you and be open about it rather than just you know having this kind of tension in the house yeah also you can knock a lot of fitness out of training six seven eight hours a week which is not very disruptive to your personal life it doesn't have to be everyone thinks cycling's either boom or bust you're in and you have to do a massive amount of training or you're out it's not the reality like i spent the last three four years kind of treading water a little bit riding six to eight hours a week and it's very enjoyable and you can keep a decent level of fitness doing that. It's just for some of my upcoming events, especially because I want to change level and I always think you need to have a more impetus on your training for a short period of time when you're looking to change level. The level I've been at for the past couple of years is not a level that's going to get me around these gravel events. So I need to put in a short period of time where I'm a little bit more committed and then I can get back to something that's a little bit more sustainable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. I think that answers it. Um, but yeah, sometimes it does get on my nerve a little bit. <laughs> anyway, actually I had a, a quote from uh, Sean Kelly about this very point. Sean Kelly being interviewed after the 1984 Amstel Gold Race spots his wife leaning against his Citroen AX. He interrupts the interview to tell her to get off the paintwork to which she shrugs. In your life, the car comes first then the bike, then me. And instinctively, he snaps back. He got the order wrong. The bike comes first. So I can kind of, you, you're, the dog, the dogs come first at me, then you're after the dog. So you know how, you know how it goes. I know how it goes. <laughs> I know how it goes indeed. Okay, number three. Go on, you look read at number three. Best of luck in Iceland. Anthony, I've always wanted to do Rift. What bike are you riding and what tires will you use? Yeah, so if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, I'll put or that question's about. Uh, I'm racing my first gravel event uh, leaving on this coming Monday, which is the 18th. And then the race is the following Saturday out in Iceland. So it's a 200 kilometer gravel race. I'm going to do a full podcast preview about that. I'll talk about the tech I'm using. I'll talk about the bike I'm using. But in short, I am using the only gravel bike I have at the moment. It is a Canyon Grail with that kind of double handlebar look on it which I'm not really sure what it does. It's kind of cool, but it'd be kind of annoying if it breaks in transit. 
tires i have been looking around i have uh, as you know if you listen to the podcast i'm also co-hosting the cyclist podcast for a short period of time i interviewed pete stetton on that year right pete won the rift last year so i got to pick his brain and really figure out what tires to use what equipment to use what clothing to wear etc so i'm gonna run a set of 43 tires for this uh, event so that's the wit and you were saying something about the hard the hard wall or something can you explain that side wall side yeah wall. it's just kind of matching and again this is all new for me because moving into gravel from road this you need to match the terrain to the tire so it's quite a sharp terrain out in iceland so i'm running a tire that has just a little bit of a harder side wall to stop the side walls blowing out but also quite low roll and resistance still because there's a lot of pavement can't wait for iceland we are the only two people in the whole world that well there's a heat wave apparently coming next week and we're going to Iceland where it's 10 degrees Celsius so <laughs> have to get the winter kit out again. I had a little bit about Tech Corner here because Eurobike 2022 is on. So for anybody who's not in the biz, Eurobike, it's like an international bike trade fair. It's held since the, the, the 90s and all of the big brands go there and show off their new, you know, what they've been researching, developing over the previous 12 months. One very interesting item caught my eye. There wasn't really that much stuff that was really out there that I've seen so far, but POC I wear a POC helmet, as does Anthony, and a company called Autolive, they make airbags for cars. They have developed a bike helmet with an integrated airbag. I've seen these before, stupid things, <laughs> like fucking airbags going all over, all over the peloton. I knew you were going to say that, I knew you were going to say that. It's a, pro, it's a prototype, but it's uh, estimated to reduce the cyclist's risk of severe head injury in a collision. So, um, yeah, you can't tell that the... When, when it hasn't, you know, activated, it just looks like a normal helmet. And apparently it's activated kind of like an airbag on impact. It basically feels like they're trying to make helmets single use. That if you hit the deck once, the airbag goes off and you're going to buy a oh, new helmet. Oh, we have a skeptic. But they had this scarf <laughs> one a few years ago where it was like, you know, there's not a culture wearing helmets for Dutch uh, commuters. So they'd wear this scarf. And if you crashed, there was like an accelerometer built into it that would detect you'd crashed. And it put up like basically this uh, hood around your head that was inflatable. <laughs> what I'm really impressed is the word accelerate, accelerometer. Accelerometer, yeah. Definitely a word. It's like flux capacitor, <laughs> it's a word. So yeah, watch this space. I think, look, I knew, I knew you were going to have that opinion on this, uh, this helmet, but for people who are very nervous and they're maybe on e-bikes that the are The last thing they fast. need is an explosion on their head <laughs> if they're nervous. Okay, I think that wraps it up. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow for the much-anticipated episode 500. Some people have been waiting almost a year for this episode since I started talking about it. But it's going to be Sarah solo cast for episode 500. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> Chat then. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. 
Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.